We're delighted to have Brother John Collier with us for these few days, all the way from Waco, Texas, and uh, everything's big in Texas, and uh, we're glad to have big Brother John with us. <laughs> Brother, resemble that, amen. Brother Collier served as a, an evangelist for the Bill Rice Ranch, and then he has pastored in Waco, Texas for, I think, 49 years, and 39 years, 39, that's right, I, I, I thought he was 100 years old, but 39 years, and uh, recently retired, first of this year, or early in this year, and so now he's able to travel a little bit more, and we're delighted that we could have him here. You listen carefully as he comes and preaches to us tonight. All right, thank you, preacher. We did a little riding around uh, this week, and looking around in all the trees, um, and y'all have green grass up here. We have, we have been in a drought uh, in our area. Uh, our lake's down about 18 feet, and uh, so we, we need rain. And down at our place, this dry weather has brought out the snakes. Uh, anybody here like snakes? I'm going to pray for you, if, you know. Uh, I hate snakes. Uh, I mean, if a grass snake bit me, I'd die of a heart attack. I mean, every snake I see is a diamondback rattlesnake. But uh, I have a friend of mine, he's in heaven now, an evangelist by the name of Sonny Holland. Sonny lives down in South Louisiana, and boy, they have all kinds of snakes down in South Louisiana. Uh, Brother Sonny, he's, he's this scared of them as I am. He came home from a revival one time and he was home for a few days and his son Monty, he had wanted something out of Monty's closet. And he went in there and opened the door and a snake had gotten in there. And that snake just struck at him. He shut the door real quick. He hollered for Dorothy to get him a hole. She ran out to the garage to get the hole and he said while she was gone, that snake just kept hitting on that door. And uh, she got him a hole and he said, now you open that door and get out of here. And she opened and sure enough that thing tried to strike and Sonny hit him with a hole and said he, he was just spitting venom out at him. It was just dripping. And he said, man, I'm trying to kill that thing. And Sonny, uh, Monty came home and came in there and said, mama, why is daddy killing my rubber snake? And he said, in my mind, that thing was striking and spitting venom and trying to kill me, and it was a rubber snake. <laughs> but uh, I'm probably that bad. I'd probably just shoot a hole in the floor or something. But uh, I'm glad that you're here tonight. Isaiah chapter 1. Go to Revelation and back up, and you'll eventually come <laughs> to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. We're going to, as time has allowed us tonight, we're going to spend our time mostly here in Isaiah chapter 1. And very particular, we're going to look at verse number 9. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, 
and we should have been like under Gomorrah. The Christian life, and I'm not for sure everybody that names the name of the Lord understands this, but the Christian life is one of continued growth or of spiritual retardation. It's amazing as you come to the scripture and you find that in the Gospels, Jesus likens the new birth to being born again. That's the terminology he uses. In John chapter 3, the man Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. I've heard preachers over the years make a big to-do about why did he come at night? Well, who gives a rip? Thank God he came. Whether he comes early in the morning or at noontime or mid-afternoon, just make sure he gets there by supper, but he, he came at night for whatever reason. And he passes a great compliment on the Lord Jesus. Master, we know thou art a teacher come from God. No man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Have you noticed, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, somebody pays you a compliment, you know, you try to compliment back to them. You know, they'll say, oh, that's a good looking hairdo you got tonight. And you say, oh, your shoes are nice. You know, or you're not as big as you used to be. <laughs> well, your mouth is as big as it always has been. I mean, you try to find some way to, to compliment them. And Nicodemus, from his heart, he says, we know that you're from God. Jesus looks right at him and he said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom Amen. of God. Except a man be born again. He likens to compare the new life with our old life. When the birth of a child takes place and that child is healthy. There's going to be growth. There's going to be maturing. There's going to be changes that will gradually, and it then sometimes it, to parents it seems like it's overnight. That child that was just a little bitty baby now is driving the car. It's hard for me to imagine my children have children. But they grow. One of the realities is this. Now I want you to think about this. God has never had a stillborn child. Every birth that God does in salvation is healthy and complete. And what happens when he births someone into his family, he then deposits inside of them the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is that growing agent for the child of God. You can't grow spiritually within yourself. 
We have to be taught to grow. That's why you have a pastor. That's why you have Sunday school teachers. That's why you have a copy of the Bible. That's why God placed the Holy Spirit inside of you so that you would mature in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, let me, let me be very careful about this. God doesn't measure out salvation. You don't get a little bit when you're born again and then you get a little bit next week and then next year you get a little bit more. No. That instant that you receive Christ, that instant that He births you into His family, you're as birthed as you're ever going to get. You are totally 150% born again. But now it begins that growth process. As, as a child matures, he, you know, he begins to roll over. He begins to pull up. He begins to waddle around a little bit. And before you know it, he's going off to college. But there is that growth. God, all of His children have had healthy spiritual births. But there is a problem in this healthy birth. And that is that you and I have a will. We can spiritually eat the way we ought to, or we cannot. We can spiritually exercise the way we ought to, or we cannot. God gives us a choice, it's a will. God in all of His infinite power and wisdom has so ordained that He will not violate my will. Now, granted, God can make you wish you had obeyed. God can make you wish, I, I, I wish I decided differently about that. But you are in a growing relationship with the Lord. You and I can choose to grow in our walk with God or we can choose to go against God's will in the matter of spiritual maturity. And let me, let me warn you about this. When you think you're spiritually mature, you better be careful. Let he who stands... Take heed lest he fall. That's sort of like the fellow who said, you know, I'm so glad I'm humble. <laughs> One guy said he wrote a book on humility and how he attained it. I, I told him I was going to write a book on the ten greatest soul winners I knew and how I won the other nine. <laughs> That'd be such a fallacy. I wouldn't even read it myself. You and I have this choice. And you and I have to, as God's believers, we have to come to the realization that we are going to have to make decisions over and over and over again to continue to grow in our walk with Jesus Christ. We have people in Parkview Baptist Church. I was there for 39 years as senior pastor. 
I have folks in the, folks that's in the church and I can't, they've never come to the altar yet. And let me in on a little secret. They need to. I, I, I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to be the spiritual leader. I need to hit the altar. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? I was telling somebody night before the service. I, I, I preach to myself. Every time I preach, I preach to myself as much as I preach to anybody in the world. This afternoon, I was looking over this, and boys, God would speak to my heart. I'd say, oh God, I'm sorry. I need, I, I, I'll do that. Lord, please forgive me on that. The idea is so often times in people's mind that if I continue to go to the altar, then, then people are going to think I'm really bad. Well, look, go ahead and just accept that you are really bad. All of us are really bad. All of us are sinners. All of us are supposed to be growing. And God is going to deal with each one of us individually. And by the way, if God wanted you to make a decision other than the time He's speaking to you, He'd speak to you some other time. When God speaks to your heart, say yes. Don't say later. I mean, if you have to come to the altar every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, then and call a preacher and say, would you give me a key? I need to go to the altar on Monday. Because we, the old Christians, you say we leak. We have problems. We have failures. And we've got to keep short accounts with God. I've often wondered this, and I, I, I don't know the total answer, but I've often wondered, Pastor, my, for myself, if God was going to send a revival to this church and I'm preaching the meeting, would I in any way be a hindrance to the Holy Spirit giving a revival? Don't leave me now, folks. If revival... If God was going to send it, now I don't know if God would ever do it this way, but if God were going to send a revival to Northern Kentucky Baptist Church on Monday, October the 3rd, depended upon where I was in my walk with Him, would we stand a chance? You say, well... I don't think I'm that important to the church. You ought to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. God hath placed every part in the church as it hath pleased Him. No one in this church is any more important than anybody else. You say, Paul, preacher's the most important. No, he just has different responsibilities. Everybody's important. And he talks about the body of Christ, the, the human body, excuse me. And he says, can the eye say to the nose, I'm not part of the body because I'm not the eye. Now I'm going to ask you a, a, a silly question, all right? But I want you to think about this. Unless you have arthritis, 
I doubt if anybody paid any attention today to your elbow joint. Do you ever think about where you'd be if you didn't have an elbow joint? Try eating. <laughs> then you just you know just sort of throw it or just put your face in the plate and gobble it up. I've been out to eat with some of y'all. I know what you do, but you know that part that seems the most feeble. God places a great importance upon it. The body's important. You're important. You have a place in this church. I don't know how many times I've talked to people at our church and they'll say, you know, preacher, I, I'm not missed when I'm not there. I said, yes, you are. I miss you because you sit the same place every time and when you're not there, I notice it. Y'all ought to move around. <laughs> I mean, we know where you sit. They're gone. Brother Pastor, I don't know if anybody's ever done this to you in this church, but I have people sometimes, they'll come, they'll say, Preacher can't be there Sunday, but I'll be there in the Spirit. And I say, don't do that. Take your Spirit with you. I don't want any ghosts running around in here. You, you take that Spirit with you. You know, we ought, to, we ought to make it a habit that we have to have a good excuse not to come to church. Sometimes we try to get an excuse to come instead of an excuse not to come. I have... In my entire life in the ministry, I've heard about the remnant. I've heard about this thing that Isaiah here and the inspiration of the Lord talked about a remnant. And to be honest, I'd, I'd never studied much about this wonderful Bible truth until very, very recently. A remnant is a small part, a member, a small trace, a remaining part, a small surviving group. And the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 1 and verse number 9, he says, we had a very small remnant. The Lord has left us that remnant because if we didn't have the remnant, he would have destroyed us as he did Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, as I mentioned last night, Sodom was destroyed not because of their sin. They were destroyed because God couldn't find ten righteous in the city. God doesn't move according to the sins of the people. He moves according to the sins of his people. His people. Not the unsaved world. Unsaved world's the unsaved. They've never been anything. But we as God's children have one of the most awesome responsibilities to continue in our growth and to make sure that we're part of that small group that when He comes, He'll find being faithful. Amen. Because 
Jehovah had a very small remnant in Israel. The nation was still God's chosen. Not totally destroyed as he did those wicked cities. The vast majority of the people in Israel had rebelled against Jehovah and his true prophets. Notice in verse number 2, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, watch this, and they have rebelled against me. That word rebel there, you look it up, it means to be broken away from, to apostatize, to revolt against. Doesn't take me much imagination to say America's done that. You say, yeah, but preacher, you said uh, God doesn't judge necessarily because of the sinful people, the wicked people, the unsaved people. It's true. But look what our churches have done. It's amazing to me, and I, I know I'm probably in a very small minority, but it seems like that we ought to be listening to God more now than we ever have, and we're listening to God less than we ever have. Churches now don't have Sunday night service. They don't have Wednesday night service. Evangelists are having to leave evangelism because churches aren't having revivals anymore. Don't you think we need one? Absolutely. They had a big meeting churches did in our town a couple of years ago and they contacted me and wanted to know if we would dismiss our Sunday night service and come down and join them. I said, no, we can't do that. We have church on Sunday night. I know, I know. He said, the pastor, he was ahead of it. He said, I can't believe you still have Sunday night service. I said, yeah. And Wednesday night. You still do that? I said, absolutely. Why do you do that? I said, because I can't get them to come Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Can we see the day approaching? Absolutely. What do we ought to be doing? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. But it doesn't do any good if we assemble ourselves together. If we come and we sing the songs of Zion and we listen to the teaching and the preaching of God's Word, but it falls on deaf ears and we don't continue to make decisions that bring us closer in our walk with Jesus Christ. It's amazing. You look at verse number 3. The ox knoweth his owner. The ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. Churches, colleges, seminaries are getting so far from God today. I mean just forgetting God. 
I think if Jesus Himself were to show up, they wouldn't have Him. He's too radical. Have you ever wondered why we ought to assemble ourselves together? Do you know why it's important for you to be in every service of the church? You ought to read it in Hebrews 10, verse number 24. He says that when we come together, we admonish one another. Your presence admonishes other people, encourages other people, brings a blessing to other people. By the way, it's easy to get out of the habit and hard to get back in. I told somebody the other day, I, I think I've gone to church so much that if I would oversleep on Sunday morning, my britches would jump out of the closet and get in my car and take off and go to church by themselves. We, uh, I was on vacation with my daughter and her family three or four summers ago and we were at Gatlinburg. Bonda rented us a house up in the mountains and we were just having a good time. So I called a preacher friend of mine. I've never preached over in the Gatlinburg area. So I called a preacher friend of mine to get a recommendation for church for Sunday. And uh, he said, yeah, this church right here, I won't call a name because if y'all ever go there, I hope y'all don't go to it. But anyway, uh, I said, now, is it a good church? He said, oh yeah, man, it's a good church. Friendly church. I said, okay. So we got up. My daughter, my son-in-law, my two granddaughters, and we went, to, we went to church. I honestly believe if I was still sitting there, no one would be speaking to me yet. And that's been over two years ago. Pastor walked by six times, I counted. Now he shouldn't talk to me because I'm a preacher. He should have talked to me because I'm a visitor. He doesn't know that I didn't live there. I might want to join and put in $50,000. And if he knew that, he'd be sitting down by me. I had to make myself listen. He was so stinking boring. Spoke in a monotone voice. Never moved in the pulpit. Never raised his hand. Never raised his hand. Oh, my soul. We got out of there. No one ever spoke to us. We got out of there and got in the van. My granddaughters were in the back. My daughter leaned up and said, Daddy. I said, what, sweetie? He missed six good stopping places. I said, you've heard too much preaching, girl. <laughs> but that night, I was blessed by this. We, I'm trying to find another church to go to. And my oldest granddaughter came and she put her arm inside mine, put her head on my shoulder. She said, Paul, I don't get to hear you preach very often. I said, what are you up to? <laughs> Could you preach to us tonight and we don't go back through that again? <laughs> so we, I preached that night to my family and took a good offering and we just had a <laughs> wonderful time. We admonish, we encourage each other. It's amazing. Did you notice what he said there in verse 3? But Israel doth not know. 
My people doth not consider. They don't, they don't perceive. See, our churches in America, I'm not talking about our world. I'm not talking about the ungodly crowd. I'm talking about organized religion. They have no earthly idea what's going on in our world, biblically and spiritually. But we better know. We have to be the remnant that God can use. We have to be the remnant that God can say, that's the people I'm going to use in this day and this time. Notice in verse 4. He said, Ah, sinful nation of people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Well, that's like talking about the United States of America. We don't even consider God. We have forsaken Him. We are provoking the Holy One. And He is not happy about it. Backward. The idea is that they can't even see the back of His head. Remember what I told you last night? I know I'm just make believe in this, but I want to walk so close to Jesus that if He slows up, I'll bump into Him. And he'll have to say, would you back off just a tad? <laughs> Notice in verse 5. Why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. The idea here is you've turned your back to me even after I've dealt with you. Even after I've been good to you. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do, God says. I'm going to let judgment come. Because the great majority of Israel has turned to sinning and sinning and sinning. I don't know about you, but I didn't think our nation could ever be this wicked. I just had no idea that five-year-olds could decide whether or not they want to be a little boy or girl. Most of them want to be a fireman or a nurse. Or... They're not even thinking about changing their gender. They don't even know what gender is unless somebody tells them. I remember my friend Bill Rice III he wanted to be a garbage man when he was a little boy because they get to ride on the back of a truck. He didn't know anything. He wanted to be a garbage man. But look what we've done to our, this generation of children and teenagers. I mean, do you ever think that you'd have girls wanting to play on boys' teams and Boys playing on girls' team, and they can do that because today they want to be a boy, or today they want to be a girl. 
Now, I, I make no bones about this. When, I, when I'm out with Vonda and my granddaughters, even though I have a freshman in college and a sophomore in high school, when they go to the bathroom, I go with them. Not in. But I stand there. And one of them Jehus come up there and they're wanting to go in where my granddaughter is. We're going to have a problem. In Texas, we call it going to Fifth City. Why? That's wicked. That is wicked. The remnant. Who are the remnant? Here in Israel, they were those faithful Jews that were continuing to serve Jehovah God. I think for you and for me, it's people that are serving the God of the church, not the church of their God. I go to that church because they have good coffee. That church is their God. We need to come inside these doors with anticipation that the God of the world is going to meet with us. The God of creation is going to speak to us. We're going to hear Him in the songs. We're going to hear Him through the reading of the Scripture. We're going to hear His voice to our spirit inside through the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. And we're serving Him. That people who are part of the remnant are those that acknowledge God in every area of their life. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said, for the child of God, there's no difference in the sacred and the secular. He's God of both of them. The remnant not only acknowledge God in all their ways, but they're always careful to confess their sins to God. To me, in the New Testament, one of the most important verses to the Christian is 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you ever analyze that verse? if we confess our sins, plural. Now, not y'all, but the people aren't here tonight do this, okay? Have you ever heard somebody say this? Or have I done this? Yes. Have you done it? Probably. Lord, just forgive us of all our sin. He did that when He saved you. That's why He says, confess our sins, you mean, preacher, I've got to call them to God? If it's a sin. I like, I read sermons by great preachers, and one of the Sunday's messages I read, he was in Buffalo, New York, and this guy came forward, and all the personal workers were busy, so Mr. Sunday stepped over and met him, and he, he said, Brother Sunday, he said, there's something wrong in my life. God's just working in my heart. But he said, I don't know what it is. Billy Sunday said, well, get on your knees right there and guess at it. <laughs> said he hit it right the first time. You know what I found out for me? Because let me tell you something. Sometimes we do some things that God counts wrong that we have done so long that we don't think it's wrong anymore. But if you'll do this, I promise you, if you're truly born again, if you'll say as you get down to pray, 
Holy Spirit, reveal to me anything that displeases you in my life. But you've got to be ready because it will come in technicolor. It'll be the IMAX screen. So He'll want you to know what it is and you can ask Him again. So if we confess our sins, that's why D.L. Moody said, keep short accounts with God. But then, listen to me. He said, not only will I forgive your sins, but I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is the same as your sins. Well, I'm glad I get forgiven. Brother Tim, I'm glad I get forgiven, but I'm just as glad that I get cleansed. That means He he removes the stain. He removes it. And when He forgives you, child of God, the Bible says He takes those sins, He divides them as far as the east is from the west. He says, I put them behind my back never to remember them again. Didn't say He put them behind Him. He put them behind His back. Why? Then everywhere He turns, they're still behind His back. He didn't say north and south. He said east and west because there's no place east and west ever meet. North and south meet at the magnetic poles. An infinitesimal place. But the devil could find that. Let me tell you something. We have an accuser of the brethren. I think sometimes he'll go before God and he'll say, you know what Cartier did? And he said, by an elect I don't. I put him behind my back. So you just shut up about it. That's under the blood. That's our God. That's our God. That's why you ought to desire to be part of that remnant. The remnant accept the righteousness of Jesus Christ and not their own righteousness. Let me, let me share something with you that if you haven't learned this, please learn this. The greater desire you have to walk with God, the closer that you spiritually get to God, listen to me very carefully, the more you're going to abhor yourself. The closer you get to perfection, the more you'll see your imperfection. You say, that discourages me. No, that encourages me. Because I can say my God loves me even in my imperfections. But the more you walk with Him, the more you realize how we so easily can offend Him and sin against Him. We have to keep those shorts account with God. The remnant place their total trust in Jehovah. The remnant stand on God's Word, not on the Word of man, politicians, or the media. They stand on what God says in His Word. The remnant, they believe that God's Word is as true today 
as it was the day God spoke it to the prophets and spoke it to the apostles. That word is still true. I've said this so often. If my Bible were to disappear and God Himself stand here, He would say, I want to tell you all how to know me, how to walk with me, how to please with me. I'm going to I'm going to tell you how, and here's how you'd start. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And He'd end it by saying, even so come Lord Jesus. This does not contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. Romans chapter 9, you don't need to turn there, verse 27. Paul says, Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. God always has a remnant. He had Noah at the flood. He had Gideon against the Midianites. He had Zerubbabel and Nehemiah to return and to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. He had 12 apostles, but only 11 of them, there was a remnant. One of them was the devil. Of all those who trusted Christ during His earthly ministry, there were only 120 in the upper room. But look what they did when the Holy Spirit came. The remnant. The church of Acts saw thousands come to salvation in the early days of the church that church, my dear friend, the church of the book of Acts has never been destroyed. This church can date its beginning to the church started on the day of Pentecost. We're not Protestants. We never were part of the Catholic church. We're the church that Jesus started. And He wants us to be His church. Universal idolatry. Only one man came out of it by the name of Abraham. Where are the Chaldees? And God said, get up and leave here. Ladies, let me just give you a sidebar on that. How would you like for your husband to come home and say, sweetheart, we're moving. Oh, we are? Yeah. Where are we going? I don't know. But we're going. Where? I have no idea. Well, how do you know when we get there? God will tell us. Would y'all have the faith of a Sarah to walk with him then? God always will have a remnant. He had Paul and Martin Luther and Zwingli and Tyndall and John Knox and John Wesley and George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards, Finney and Moody and Tory and Gypsy Smith. I want him to have John Collier. I want him to have Brother Tim. I want him to have a Charles King. I want him to have you. But you have to decide to be part of the remnant. Nevertheless, the Lord said in Luke chapter 18, 
Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. I mentioned to you the other night that God lets me live till next April the 20th. Y'all probably ought to write that down. I'm going to celebrate 80 years on this earth. One of the things I've asked my children to pray for their dad was that I'd finish strong. That I'll cross when it's my time. I'll cross being faithful to Him who called me, who saved me. He has earned my devotion. He has earned my love. And every day of my life now, every morning I have to decide, Lord, I want to walk with You today. Please help me. Please help me. Throughout the day, I catch myself praying, Oh God, this whole world so makes a bid for our affection, for our devotion. Oh God, let me be faithful to You. I have to decide that every day. You know why? Because that old flesh of mine is still there. Let's bow our heads in prayer.